You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we look to make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. I'm Phil, and today I am excited to be joined by Meredith Dancaus. Meredith has been a pastor at a number of churches, including one that Aaron and I attended about 10 years ago while we were undergraduate students. Meredith also attended the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, where I received my graduate degree. And so I feel like we've been to many of the same places. And so it was a blessing to have Meredith uh, be able to come on and share. Now, lately, she has done a lot of work around marriage and parenting. So in this episode, she drops so much wisdom, especially around parenting. We talk about parenting being teaching and uh, how it mirrors discipleship. We go through the balance between being kind and firm. And I think that that's a really key point we dive into because love love needs both in order to truly be love. Then she gives us some really practical advice about uh, what she calls our top card, which is how we respond when we're stressed. She talks about flipping our lid, which I know all of us have been there. And this happens whether we're parents or not. These are some of the things that can even happen at work. So while we're talking about parenting, what she's really talking about can be applied to so many different aspects of our lives. And so she gets a little bit into how our brain works and throughout all of it talks about the role that our faith has to play. So whether you are a parent or not, friends, I believe that this episode can bless you, challenge you, and encourage you. Now, one quick note is we did seem to have some problems with Meredith's microphone or how it was coming across through the internet. So her voice does not come through as great as she might sound in real life. And so I apologize for that. Um, I know we try to bring, obviously, as good of quality as we can to audio here at Rua Space, but sometimes things aren't perfect and that's okay because that is life. We have mercy and grace from our Lord and for one another. So I think that the slight issues that it might have, that it is worth pushing through to hear the great things that Meredith has to say. So friends, here's my interview discussion with Meredith Dancaus. Meredith Dancaus, welcome to the Rua Space podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Phil. It's great to be here. You know, over the last number of years, your name has just come up for me in many different ways because we had gone to a church you were a pastor at like a decade ago. You went to the same graduate school. And so I just kept hearing about Meredith Dancaus <laughs> and I thought, man, I need to look up the work she's doing. And you have done some really cool stuff, especially around uh, marriage and parenting. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I've got to do all sorts of fun things and work at a bunch of different churches, which has been great and get lots of experience. Um, but one of the things I've seen as a pastor over the last 15 years is people need help in their everyday life. You know, I always say uh, discipleship isn't this big, crazy out there thing. It's, you know, I always talk about having someone in mind when you're developing something. And I always think about like a bus driver, you know, someone who has a family, they're driving the bus. And they're, they're not, like, necessarily reading philosophy. They want to know how does following Jesus make me a better parent, make me a better spouse, make me a better employee. And so really getting down on the ground. And that's where marriage and parenting 
I think those are two areas where we the church should be the most helpful. Yeah, no doubt. I know that for my wife and I, we have a two and a four-year-old now, and uh. <laughs> it changes a lot, right? And I, I find myself yeah. now, especially at Rua Space, we do a lot with spiritual disciplines and always trying to add in this caveat now for people who have small children, because it really mm-hmm. changes not just the dynamics of your marriage, but just how you go about living your faith. It does. You know, like I, what I teach parenting class, I've taught hundreds and hundreds of parents. And I always tell them, you know, discipleship isn't like teaching your kid how to read the Bible. It's how you deal with snack. It's how you deal with homework. It's how you deal with nap time. It's how you deal with tantrums and all of that. You're shaping them into the character of Jesus. And it's all learning for everyone. And I always say parenting is like improv, you know, like, <laughs> like you're just thrown into a scene. And, you know, at some point you start to like, get a rhythm and you figure out what's going on and then your kid changes and now it's a new thing. And so you're always just trying to figure out how do I respond to this moment, which is awesome. You know, they're masters of the present, right? Yeah. But, uh, but it's really challenging. You know, it's really challenging because it stretches us and you begin to see, I always say nothing brings out your inner four-year-old until you act with interact with a four-year-old and you realize like oh i can be just as mean as you like, <laughs> i'm not as i'm not as mature as i thought i was you know when my daughter was four she kept uninviting me to her birthday party when she was mad at me and i wanted to tell her well you're not even gonna have a birthday party unless i pay for it so <laughs> it would, would not have been helpful but you see like oh i'm not as developed as I thought I was. <laughs> that is so true. And I love what you mentioned about, you know, we, we sometimes have a game plan and we like to think that things are linear, but I mean, I don't know how many times I can tell you my kids will sleep great for three months and then randomly <laughs> a week will come and they will have forgotten everything. Yep. And you just have to it's go so on the fly. True. You got to figure it out. It's true. I, you know, when I, when I teach parents, I always say there's not a magic bu- bullet, you know, there's not one technique or one thing that's going to fix a problem. It's really, it's all about growing and learning and interacting. And you're going to have things that work when what in one way, and then suddenly it breaks down and now you have to revisit it. I mean, nothing, you're not quite there yet, but as your kids get older, nothing really pushes that more than like chores no. where you think, Oh, we've got a great system. And then suddenly, you know, three weeks later, the system's broken down. And I say, well, you had a great three weeks. That's awesome. And now you got to revisit it. And that's part of life. You know, there is no one thing that just works. And so I think, you know, for me, marriage and parenting have really helped me think about following Jesus because Jesus gives us such practical examples. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't speak in this esoteric way. He's like, the kingdom of God is like a lady who loses a coin and sweeps out her house to find it. And so I think, parenting is like a modern day parable (laughs) you're like oh man this is really hard you know it's you know i i ascribe to the the peace position i've been in the anabaptist tradition for quite a while now and um i would say you know people give the example of like what are you going to do if someone breaks into your house and steals your stuff and has a gun i'm like how many people do you know that's ever happened to i don't know anyone and i've been alive for 40 years um but you know, what is it to practice a peace position when your child is yelling at you or they're, you know, acting out in the store or they've made a really big mistake? And I, that's that's when it hits the ground. And it's way harder to put that into practice. 
No doubt. Well, let's just dive into those examples you just gave then, because I think yeah. that that practical nature of it can be really helpful. And I think that can springboard us in some different directions. Um, so so let's talk about something like that, like, wow, yeah, your kids yelling in, in, in public or at home. I mean, where do we go from there? Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing about misbehavior. Uh, we often see when our kids act out or they're having a challenge or they're, you know, they've got some sort of misbehavior going on. We see that as like a threat to their character and their life skills. So, mm. you know, when our kids lie or when they, you know, act out or when they throw a tantrum or whatever that is, we think, oh, we have to stop this. I have to shut this down. They, you know, and I always say parents um, fast forward to the most rational conclusion. So they think like, oh, they're going to be a sociopath and rob a bank and end up in jail. (laughs) We we just go to this extreme. But it's actually the misbehavior is really if we can rethink it, we can approach it um, as an opportunity to teach the life skill. So it's when our children lie that we get to teach them about the value of honesty. It's, you know. Really, it's a lack of skill rather than them trying to, you know, make your life miserable. So it feels like they're they in that moment they've been put on the planet to make your life miserable. Uh, really, it's they don't know how to solve their problem and they're going about it in a faulty way. So you know, I tell parents when your child is acting out in a store, they are telling you they need help learning how to be appropriate in public spaces. So that's a great learning opportunity and if we can see their mistakes and our mistakes all of it as an opportunity to grow and learn you know that's really what i think uh being a follower of jesus is all about you know it's a lifelong endeavor too often i think the church has made a moment Mm. you know a decision uh and yes there is the big decision that we have to make to become a jesus follower but you know anyone who's followed jesus for more than five minutes knows it's daily decisions you know, and, and how you, how you are shaped in that, uh, shapes, shapes your character. So with our kids, if we can see misbehavior as them telling us what they need help learning and, and then for us to become detectives and figure out, okay, why are you acting this way? And how do I want to teach you? Because that's really what discipleship means, you know, we, and, and that's what, um, discipline means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I hear, when I teach parenting classes, there's a ton of parents who are like, this is great, but when, when do we bring in the discipline? And I say, well, always, because discipline simply means to teach. You know, that's all mm. it means. It doesn't mean to punish. And in the Bible, that word discipline means to teach. It is not the same Greek or Hebrew word as punishment. And mm. so, you know, when we hear like, spare the rod, spoil the child, you're like, well, we're not, it, it actually doesn't mean, um, punishment at all it means when you don't teach your child you are you are not shaping them in the way that they should go and that is cruel you know if you have wisdom that you're not offering and to be a disciple only means to be a learner so it's we're called to all be lifelong learners and to teach where we can and so that's that's kind of the approach that i take towards parenting and try to help people think about it is it's really about teaching and it's not about making them pay or punishment or any of that. That's actually not very effective in shaping their character at all. 
Yeah, you know, I like that that reference you made to the the sparing the rod thing because it reminds me of shepherds with their sheep and we often think yeah. of the the crook and things that they had as like for beating the sheep, but it wasn't. It was for protecting <laughs> them, you know? It was for it was for bringing them back if they fell. It was for making sure wolves and things didn't get them, you know? <laughs> and so yep. that's even uh like you said even even bigger discipleship as human beings. This is how God interacts with us, right? God is desiring yeah. to lead us to the best life possible and wants, you know, we often operate out of narratives we don't understand, right? Or we make decisions Absolutely. wanting one thing, but sort of going about it in a way that won't actually get it. And so when we can remember that we do that, it like gives insight into our kids. Totally. I, I you know, I bring us to that passage all the time of, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, because that's been used to, you know, prop up uh, punishment and corporal punishment and all that. And, and then I bring us to Psalm 23 and say, it's the same rod, you know, and the rod is a comfort and a guide in a dark time. And so that's, that's what we should be. I mean, it's metaphorical language and it's not about harming our children. And, you know, I get people give me all sorts of different parenting resources. Uh, they say, Oh, this book is great. And there was one that was, um, you know, a Christian approach, and I won't name the book, uh, but it talked about how it used the Hebrews passage where it says all punishment is painful, and which is a really bad interpretation of that <laughs> word, uh, you know, because that's the only time that we translate that word as painful. Everywhere else we translate that same word as sorrowful. Mm. And, uh, and so, but the conclusion then was, so you have to find out what hurts your child the most and oh, use that in order to discipline them. Oh, man. I think... Oh my goodness, that sounds terrible. Like what I would not trust a God who treated me that way, you know, who found out what hurt me the most and used that and withdrew or, you know, um, used physical punishment or, you know, uh, whatever that was. That's that's not what that means. You know, when we think discipline is sorrowful, you think, yeah, when you make a mistake and someone has to correct you or teach you, that's part of repentance. You know, and we we definitely want to build that into our children the ability to say sorry the ability to make things right parents you know i always say we have to put up a yield sign before we interact with our kids and ask ourselves the question am i trying to help you learn from what you've done or am i trying to make you pay for what mm. you've done and i i tell parents all the time i am very honest my first inclination is I will make you pay. Like you, you will not get away with this. And so I have to stop myself and say, that's not my job. Uh, and so interacting in the make you pay mode, really, I mean, that doesn't reflect the character of Jesus at all. And that's, that's our ultimate goal as parents is to shape our children into the character of Jesus. And so we need to be reflecting that and living into that. And we don't see Jesus shaming people. You know, he doesn't use punishment. He doesn't withhold until they're they get their act together you know he's just gracious and inviting and always bringing out the best in people and that's who we should be with our kids yeah i, I was going to say you know i wonder as you were as you were speaking how much of this actually is a reflection of our image of god as our father as our mother that then plays out in how we interact with our kids yeah i mean i think you know, again, I went to seminary, I, you know, I've pastored for a long time, and my husband and I were married eight years uh, before we had our daughter, and so I was in full-time ministry 
for a number of years before that. So I had all the head knowledge about how I should view God. And it wasn't until I had a child that I really began to see, oh, my view of God is really messed up. You know, that I still think of God as withholding. And people will say this all the time. Like if you're going through a hard time, they're like, well, God's really testing you. And I think, Mm. man, I don't do that to my kid. You know, like here, let me set up this really elaborate terrible challenge to teach you a life lesson. I think life is hard enough as it is. I don't need to, I don't need to make it harder. And I, I think, um, with, with God, I've really come to see, you know, I've, I, people will say everything happens for a reason. And I've really flipped that around and said, well, no, there's a reason why everything happens, mm. but everything doesn't happen for a reason. You know, there's a reason why people die in car accidents. And there's a reason why we're in the middle of a pandemic. And, um, there's a reason why people get cancer and and die early, but that doesn't happen for a reason. It doesn't mean that God doesn't take it and make sense out of it and bring good out of it. But you know, as a parent, I've really come to believe that if my if my view of God look you know if I look better as a parent than God looks as a parent, then I have a mess up view because Jesus says like. <laughs> You who are evil, you know, and and that word even evil is like who are corrupted to your core, um, who are infected. If you know how to give good gifts, how much more does God know how to give good gifts? And so that's, it's challenged me time and time again to receive the grace of God in my own life and, and to know that when I'm acting out of, when I'm shaming my child, it's because I still believe that shame is effective. But we have to go back to Genesis and see that shame only enters into the story after the fall. It's not there. God, it's not a tool that God uses. So it shouldn't be a tool that we use. And yeah, so parenting has been this huge mirror that mm. you know, is held back up. To go, oh, man, like, I have so much further to go. <laughs> no doubt. Well, and, you know, one of the things I've noticed in my own life is that I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not a good person to wake up when they're sleeping. Like if I, if I have to stay up all night, I can make it. But once I'm out, man, I'm not the nicest person when I get woken back up. And so, yeah. you know, that the, the middle of the night, you know, child can use the bathroom on their own, but they wake you up at 4.30 to let you know that they're going, you know, and, and, and I'll get upset or I'll get frustrated. And then I just think, man, God, thank you that you're not like me. <laughs> I, you know, like, I'm so grateful because this is what it must be like to you sometimes. Like, Phil, if you would just see, you know, if you wouldn't complain, but we we all find ourselves in those positions. And, and so I wonder then how much of this, when we're talking about how can we better love our kids, how can we enter into a space to teach them, to disciple them, has to do with knowing ourselves, right? I mean, I I think this isn't the perfect analogy, but I think of uh, Caesar Milan, right? Who goes in to help with dog owners. And (laughs) it's never the dog. It's always the owner that has to change, you know? And so I think with parenting, there's a sense in which how frequently is it that we need to know ourselves? And so I know uh, one thing you named is our parenting misbehaviors and knowing ourselves. Yep. <laughs> so so could you could you take us into that for a little bit and what that looks like, yeah. how we know ourselves? Yeah, so um, I always say it takes two to tango. You know, we, we always, when I teach parenting classes, you know, parents come in and they really want to talk about their kids, you know, and this is what my kid is doing and fix them. Yeah. 
well, we got to start with you. So we spend the whole first night talking about you. And one of the big things, you know, there's there's a, a spectrum of kind and firm, you know, and we tend to fall on one side or the other. And we tend to go kind or firm, which is very confusing for kids. And we have a more natural uh, place where we land on that spectrum. So I land more naturally on the firm. And my husband, Steve, lands much more naturally on the kind. And the firm side tends to be much more follow the rules, you're capable, you know, and, and that's all really good, but we can also be pretty controlling of it's my way, uh, you don't know what you're doing, and we can make our kids feel like they are incapable at the same time. And the fir- the kind side tends to be, you know, it can be a lot of fun, it can feel like, oh, they really like me, but also the kid can get away with things and it can feel like, um, they're kind of running the show and it can be confusing. And especially if you're parenting with another person, it's really good to know where you land on that spectrum. Because I know for me, if I see Steve acting, you know, really kind in this way of like, he's doing things for my daughter that she could do for herself or she, mm. he's bending the rules. I mean, I have this, this phrase him. I said, it's not a rule if there's always an exception. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it can make me go to the negative side of firm, you know, and start to really bring the hammer down. I would say kind lets people off the hook. Firm brings the hammer down. And then, so when we're stressed as parents, we have a natural go-to. And that's what, what um, in positive discipline, we refer to that as your top card. So if you think about, like, when you are flexible and calm and at your best, you have this deck of cards that you could pull from any single card to address the situation. But as soon as you get stressed, you start drawing the same card over and over again. And that's your top card. And so there's four top cards. uh, And two of them land on the kind side and two of them land on the firm side. And it's really good to know which one you are. So, and, and the important thing to know about it is it's not necessarily how you act when you're not stressed, right? So when I'm not stressed, I am really flexible. I am really concerned about the other person. Mm-hmm. I want, I'm happy to give them lots of space to figure things out. Uh, but when I'm stressed, my, my top card is control. So the four are um, control, comfort, superiority, significance. And then, gosh, the fourth one is blanking on me right now, but it will come to me as we go along. Um, so control is, and I give each one of them a, an animal. So control is kind of like an eagle where, you know, you can kind of hover above the situation for a while, but then if something isn't going the way that you want it, you kind of you like dive in with your talons, right? And that's where you are, uh, you can become overly controlling. And it's not necessarily about controlling the other person. It's, it's really that you want to feel in control of yourself and the situation. And But control top cards, we often invite power struggles. You know, because it's your way, my way, and the child can start to feel like they're losing. Uh, And then, so comfort, which is my husband, right? So I'm control, which is on the firm side. Comfort is on the kind side. And control and comfort both have to do with situational uh, dynamic, you know, that we want the situation to feel a certain way. So I want the situation to feel in control. My husband, who is comfort, wants the situation to feel not stressful, Right. And so the not stressful, uh, let's just do the easiest thing possible. So the animal that I give for the comfort top card is like a snapping turtle. So 
um, you know, they're, they can, they'll withdraw into their shell for a mm-hmm. while and they'll say, let's just do what's easy. So if a child is like, my backpack is too heavy, they're like, I'll carry it for you. Oh, my plate, I can't, I don't want to put it in the dishwasher. I'll put it away for you. Um, I don't want to eat that for dinner. Okay, we'll just order pizza. And they're, they give and they give and they give until they reach the snapping point. Like, and then mm-hmm. they snap. And suddenly they start to think, you should be capable of driving the car and cleaning the house and cooking your own dinner. So they go to extremes. Uh, but they, what they're really hoping for is for something to not feel stressful. And then the other two, so I remembered it, uh, are relational. And again, on the kind and the firm side. So on the kind side is the pleasing top card. And on the firm side, it's superiority significance. And so pleasing is much more, while comfort is like, I want the situation to not feel stressful. Pleasing is, I don't want you to be upset with me. You don't be mad at me. And so that's where they'll tend to give and give and give and give and give because I just want you to be happy. And sometimes they'll overdo for children uh, because they, they don't want them to be upset with them. But pleasing top cards tend to be resentful. You know, they can start to keep score and mm-hmm. say, well, look at all that I've done for you, all the sacrifice that I've done for you. And then, and, and really with a pleasing top card, children can start to feel smothered. You know, with a comfort top card, you get a lot of undue attention, which is, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm only belonging if I'm keeping you busy with me. Um, even though, like, I'm waking you up in the middle of the night to tell you that I'm using the bathroom. You're like, I don't need to know that. <laughs> um, and then, and then the, the last one is superiority significance. And that's really about I don't want to look foolish, you mm-hmm. know, as a parent. I don't want to look less. And so that's where um, a superiority top card can be really critical, you know, and st- self-critical, critical of their child, can feel like they set really high standards. And so they are great at, at giving away leadership until it starts to feel threatening to them. And so they can create a lot of, a lot of insecurity. They don't mean to, but the child starts to, they see the high standard that the parent has for themselves and they can start to measure their own standard by that. And so knowing which one you tend to go to when you're stressed is helpful. And knowing uh, if you're, again, if you're parenting with another person, uh, it's super helpful. And I say your top card is your top card is your top card. So your top card is your top card in parenting. It is your top card in marriage. It is your top card at work. Uh, it's, it's how you tend to navigate life to make it feel less stressful for you. And so that's been super helpful for Steve and I even to know like, oh, you know, we've been able to joke about it now, but we can also know like this situation I'm better suited for than you are. In this situation, you're better suited for than I am. And we can start to tag out. Mm. I think that's a really beautiful image. You know, uh, Dan Allender talks, uh, he teaches this class called Faith, Hope and Love. I don't know if you had to yes. take that course, but he, I did. He, he, he uses very similar imagery of love needing both that like tenderness and strength or that firmness and that yes. kindness. And that to go one way or the other is actually not fully love. And yeah. that, that I just think that's that was life changing, that image. And so I think it, when, when you're listening to this, hear what she's saying, because I, I think it is so applicable to all of life. And what's funny to me is that my wife and I are the opposite of uh, you and Steve. Yeah. So um, I tend to get more of the controlling, frustrated, you know, start laying down the law. And my wife gets more of the cuddly, I'm going to go, I'm going to comfort, I'm, you know. And so um, I guess when someone can sort of own or name where they are, 
I know one helpful thing you said is then when you know it and can name it, you can sort of more mindfully respond in those situations. Um, yes. But I know that, for example, when you go, I mean, I think of just our time right now, right? And people will be listening to this inside of shelter in place and in the future outside <laughs> of it. So you may be in a very different circumstance. But um, I've found one of the difficulties comes to be when both people are fried and at the end of their rope. And it could be yeah. different reasons. So for me, it could be I left the house early in the morning and I get home really late at night and I've had a string of really bad meetings and, and you know, difficult bills to pay, worried about money. And my wife has been home and for her, maybe the kids have been screaming all day, not listening. She had a difficult exchange with a neighbor, you know, whatever it might be. So even for different reasons, we both just feel like we are at the end. So what do yep. you do when you're both stressed and that top card comes out? Oh, it's so great. So there's a um, Daniel Siegel, who I would hire if you haven't, you know, uh, used any of his parenting stuff or, or reference it. It's great. So he's written The Whole Brain Child. He's written No Drama Discipline um, and The Yes Brain. And he has a new one coming that just came out about being present during a digital age. Um, but his stuff is phenomenal because he's a he's a neuroscientist who does interpersonal work. And so he, especially if you want to start anywhere, whole brain child, because he talks about what happens in our brain and he actually has great, you know, pictures and, uh, you know, like little comics in it that you can use with your kids. But I actually use it with grownups too, but he has this great concept called flipping your lid. And, you know, what he means by that is the way our brain works is we've got our amygdala, which is our animal center of our brain, you know, the reptilian brain, and that's fight, flight, or freeze. And then we have our limbic system, which we bring, you know, everything filters through your limbic system, you know, and that's, that's where you have reactions. And then you have your prefrontal cortex. And this is a very broad brush of the brain, right? So those, those of you who are neuroscientists out there, I recognize there's a lot more to the brain than that. <laughs> but you know, the prefrontal cortex, you know, the way that he does it, it's almost like you get the, he calls his brain in the palm of your hand. So if you were to stick your hand up right now, the palm of your hand is your amygdala. And then if you fold your thumb over the palm of your hand, that's your limbic system. And then if you fold your fingers over your thumb, that's your prefrontal cortex. And that's where, you know, the most rational part of your brain is. That's where your ethics are, your morality, love, being rational, all of that stuff, having appropriate social interactions. And what happens is when we get triggered, the way our brain works is, you know, the image I give people is, say you're walking along in a field and you see something out of the corner of your eye, right? And it's long and it's black and your brain thinks snake, right? And what happens is if you were to take that palm, you know, you've got like a fist with your thumb, your fingers over your thumb, stick all your fingers up. You still got your thumb folded over your palm, but your fingers are up. That's called flipping your lid. It's a great image. Using it with yeah, your kids wow. is awesome. Using it in work and um, in, in marriage, because we actually put that up. Like that's our image of like, my lid is flipped or my lid is about to flip. Um, and what happens is in your brain, your prefrontal cortex goes offline. So your ability to be rational, to think through things, all of that, you know, to be loving, um, moral, kind, ethical, all that goes offline. And your limbic system starts pumping adrenaline into your body. And you're left with three responses, fight, flight, freeze, right? And so if you look over at the corner of your eye and you see it is a snake, right? Your body's going to pump more adrenaline. 
and you can fight the snake if you're a snake fighter, or most of us would run, right? And be like, oh, there's a snake, right? Um, but if you were to walk down that field and you have that same reaction, right? You see something long black out of the corner of your eye and you think snake and you look over and actually you go, oh no, it's just a hose, right? You've, you, your, your lid comes back on, so you fold your fingers back over, right? And we've all had that experience of like, say you're in a car and you're parked, but the car behind you start or next to you starts to back up and you think that your car is moving, right? And you go, yeah. and then you go, oh no, I'm fine, right? And you feel that release. Um, when your lid is flipped, it's really important to know, and I tell this to parents regularly, you are not a safe adult mm. when your lid is flipped, right? And I've actually, I've told parents, I say this all the time, I'm not a safe adult right now. Like, and I, <laughs> I'm not safe. Um, and, and with your kids, for them to know, part of that, you know, part of it as spouses is to know what flips your lid, to begin to feel that, right? The more you're in touch with your lid getting flipped, you can start to feel like my lid is about to flip. You know, the fingers are coming up and I am about to lose it. And to be able to say, I have to tag out, right? Mm. Um, and then uh, to know when your lid is flipped, I, I would say you are in your reptile brain and reptiles eat their young, right? <laughs> so like, <laughs> and then when your kid is in their reptile brain, when their lid is flipped, you know, I would say don't poke the lizard, right? There's, <laughs> not, there's none of that. But here's the thing. We have these things in our brains called mirror neurons. You know, that's like a mirror. And this is why, you know, with a kid or with a spouse, like you could be totally rational while they're freaking out for for a good period of time. And then suddenly something flips in you and you are now flip, flipping out too because both of you have flip lids. One lid that's flipped will flip the other. And so as spouses, what's been helpful for Steve and I is to know what situations flip our lids most, right? And, and to know, like, for me, Imogen, my daughter, went through this season where when she was mad, she would stick her tongue out. And that did not bother Steve at all. And it got under my skin like you would not believe it. Mm. I would want to, like, rip her tongue out. I was so <laughs> mad about it. And so Steve, like, we were able to talk about it and be like, I want to kill her when she does that. And he's like, so you need to leave the room. We have some code words with each other. I'm like, I've got this. You know, which really, you know, sometimes I have to be like, I have got this. I've said it five times. It means get out. Uh, when you're when both of your lids are flipped, here's the thing: it doesn't take very long to get your lid back on. Mm. And as parents, it's so helpful if you can teach your children that concept. And even at two and four, they can start to learn that. Um, especially with the with the hand image, it, your four year old in particular, it's super helpful to you know when they freak out and later you can be like, so your lid got flipped. Yeah. You know, and the problem is that prefrontal cortex doesn't get developed till about 25, 26. So I would say anyone, you know, under five, you're like, they're just a permanent lid. Like they're just walking around all the time. Like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but teaching your children um, the, the discipline of, of calming down, of taking a moment, of taking a breath, you can put them in their room for five minutes and say, I'm not safe right now. I need to go calm down. I used to say when Imogen was about that age, I'm like, oops, I lost my patience. I got to go find it. <laughs> so I just, like, I had to bring some humor to it, but it's, it's a real thing that when you're both, you know, maxed out. So if you have the language, you know, it's that name it to tame it for your brain. If you have the language to say, hey, I'm about to flip my lid. I need to take five minutes and go sit down. And this is, you know, you can put on, a silly video for five minutes or it's not going to destroy them. Right. Like yeah. finding that knowing like, Oh, the best thing I can do is be a safe adult. And I'm not a safe adult 
when I'm at the end of my rope. And really what I need is just a few minutes to catch my breath, you know, lock yourself in the bathroom, have a book in there that you can read or, you know, go outside for a minute, you know, literally just a minute, take a breath and come back in. Your kid is not going to burn the house down. That's again, where parents become irrational. So I've been teaching parenting for almost 10 years now, and I've yet to have a child burn the house down while a parent took a break. Like it, maybe when that happens, I will change my, my tune, but yeah. that happens. And really often when you, again, think if your lid is flipped, and your, your child has mirror neurons, their lid is gonna flip too. And, and they're already much more prone to that because their brain is just not as developed as yours. So having that language, knowing what really gets you uh, is super helpful and, and then you can start to talk about, you know, again, what situations work best. So right now, Imogen is having to homeschool, like every other child in America. And Steve and I sat through it. And while he might be better at math and science and all that, we realized I'm the better one to teach her. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm just much more calm in those moments, and she can hear from me better. So we've been having to work that out to say, actually, I'll take this, which means you take this. Uh, and, and knowing you don't have to both be good at everything. It's tougher when you're, parent, you're a single parent. You don't necessarily have that person that I can tag out. But again, teaching your kids to calm down. And I can talk all about that too. I mean, I, I can talk forever. But <laughs> on that discipline of calming down, on positive timeouts versus negative timeouts is super helpful as well. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful invitation for people because there was a lot in there. But one... I think to hear that I think you're normalizing in a very good way that our lids all get flipped. Doesn't mean you're a bad follower. Yeah, you're not a bad follower of Jesus or a bad parent. <laughs> and the invitation to take that space. There can sometimes I feel like be guilt associated with that of, well, I shouldn't put my kid in front of that for five or 10 minutes, or I, I, I haven't earned having the space or whatever it might be. But it's really for you and for them that... Yes. Take that space. That is good. And I think an invitation then, like you said, that we have to be able to know this about ourselves. So to take the space to reflect and know where what does cause your lid to flip? What wh where are you and your spouse or you and your kids finding yourselves and give yourself the space to explore it and to know it? Well, and that's where, you know, this idea of positive timeout, you know, if you want to think about, I know part of what you like to do is have a practical discipline. And I think that is one of the best disciplines that every family could build in. Because we've, you know, we don't use the word timeout in our house because it is so punitive. And it's like, go sit on the stairs and think about what you've done. And I'll let you know when you can get up. Well, they're not thinking about what they've done. They're thinking about how mean you are, right? <laughs> it's not effective. Like, it's really not, like when your lid is flipped, you can't learn. So you're physically incapable of it. it. Your brain cannot register new information. So when your child's lid is flipped and parents start talking at them and trying to say like, this is what you need to do or blah, blah, you know, they're just like the Charlie Brown teacher. Like, wah, 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 wah. You're, not, you're not taking in anything and you're not actually teaching them. When your child is scared, um, they can't learn either. You know, um, it's just impossible. And that anything that's threatening to the brain flips the lid, emotional threat, spiritual threat, physical threat, it all registers the same. And so one of the best things that everyone can do in your family is practice calming down first, knowing you, everyone does better when they feel better um, versus, you know, we get this crazy notion that I need to make you feel worse in order to make you do better. That's again, coming back to, we think shame 
is mm. effective and it's not. So a positive timeout or what we call taking a break or taking a rest, um, you know, when Imogen was little, we called it her thinking spot. But having everyone in the family create their calm down spot where, you know, and the kids know where the parents' calm down spot is. The kids get to create their calm down spot, you know, and, and that's, again, parents will often say, well, it can't be too fun. I'm like, why not? Why, <laughs> why does it have to be? It's not about punishing them. It's about getting their lid back on. So then you can actually teach them. Then you can approach it. So, you know, identifying a spot with your children and letting them decorate it, letting them, you know, my one rule is no screens for anyone in the calm down spot because that doesn't calm your brain down, actually. But books, coloring, um, music, whatever would they feel would be comforting. And you'd start to teach your kids, this is where you go when you are upset. And with little ones like yours, I used to have to physically bring image in there. You know, sometimes physically carry her to say, clearly you are upset. We're gonna go to your calm down spot. And she might be freaking out, throwing things, you know, and I just read a book and let her get all, get all of her feelings out. And she knows where my calm down spot is. Now, um, as a grown up, you know, I would go into my bedroom and I'd be like, I need to take a break. I need to calm down. And I'd pick up my book and she'd come in and I'd be like, I'm not ready yet. And now she's nine and she chooses that for herself, you know, and it took a while, it took a lot of years, you know, for us choosing it for her. And it was never like, go to your spot and calm down. Like it was, you need to go calm down. This is your place to do that. Uh, and she's now knows I need to find a space to calm myself down. And she knows afterwards we'll address whatever happened, you know, whatever the misbehavior was, whatever the situation was when we're all calm. And it's a great practice because if you know how your brain works again, as you said, it's not a sign of being a good or a bad person. It's just how your brain is wired. Right. And Absolutely. we're so grateful that our brain is wired for survival. You know, when your child gets in the middle of the road, or, you know, they're in danger, you can react very quickly to keep them safe. But a flip lid is super unhelpful in teaching anything else. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's only helpful for danger. That's it. Uh, and so that's, I think, one of the best practices. If we can remove negative timeout, you know, where actually no one can learn because it's all about shame and bring in positive timeout to say, calm down everyone comes down and then we can approach it on the back end and talk about it. I think that's, that's one of the best things that you can do for yourself and for your kids. That, yeah. That's and an app. <laughs> yes. Yes. You can even, even without kids, you can practice this just with your marriage. And, and I would encourage people in that space to um, find your breath, inhaling and exhaling through your nose, because we, as people, our fight or flight is actually connected to mouth breathing and breathing incorrectly. Absolutely. And when you can sort of slow down and return to your breath, that not only signals your body to calm, but as you know, at Rua space, you know, he, the Hebrew word for spirit and breath are the same. So when we can return to our breath, we're returning to that connection with God. So I would encourage all of you to go and practice making that space in a positive timeout. And so yeah, and teach your children that. You know, that's it. teaching kids how to calm their body down and teaching them breathing techniques. That's been huge for my daughter. You know, she struggles with anxiety sometimes and really teaching her how to calm her body down to give the signal you're safe is super important. And it's a great way to, to teach them the presence of God. You know, God is with you. And so I think that's an excellent, excellent point of b building that in because the whole point is to 
come back to yourself, come back to the present and realize I'm not in danger and I, I will be okay. And we can work through just about anything, you know? Absolutely. So Meredith, as we come to the end of our time here together, I feel yeah. like I feel like we need three or four more hours, but <laughs> this will give people a good a good introduction. Uh, do you have a final word of challenge or encouragement or something you've learned recently that you can just share with people for a minute or so? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about parenting in this way, but it's really true for all life um, is really beginning to move out of punishment and into solutions. Uh, you know, recently we've, we've, we're in a new living situation and my daughter went through a, a season of lying about sneaking food here and everything in me was like, oh, I want to shame her. Um, and I want to punish her and really having to calm down and realize that's not helpful. Like, so what can she actually learn here and, um, working with her towards finding a solution rather than imposing my own will Mm -hmm. and my own punishment. And, you know, and that's been awesome, you know, really teaching her, okay, well, this is why being trustworthy matters. You know, it, do, it doesn't really matter in this situation. You know, it, I mean, we could put a lock on the pantry door. We could bar you from, and, you know, she at one point was like, maybe we should put a camera in there. And I had to tell her, like, you're right, but that's not actually helping you make better choices, right? And so really what we want to do is what do you need to learn here? And I think coming back to that for myself and really thinking through, that's how God wants to approach things with me. It's not about, you know, get it right and or else I'm going to punish you but what is it that I'm developing in you what is the the character that I want you to live into more and you know that God wants to work with us and isn't you know isn't just disappointed in us over and over and over again and so that idea of you know collaborating with our children and then knowing that God wants to collaborate with us how awesome is that that we don't just have to have this God is keeping score and telling us like, you got it wrong. Here's your F, you know, and (laughs) fix yourself. Um, But it's, it really is like, I'm, I'm, you know, it's that, you know, Paul says the secret is that it's Christ in you, you know, Christ in you, changing you into the character of Christ. And so God is working alongside me uh, to grow me right now in humility, you know, and really learning like, what does it mean to, to be, in need and be dependent on others, you know, because we live in such an independent society to say, this is a moment where I can't provide and I can't move and I can't, I can't make anything happen for me. Uh, and that God isn't, isn't mad or upset that I don't know that this is the, this is the thing that God is working alongside to grow inside of me. And it's the same thing as parents that we get to grow things inside of our children and come alongside them and pull things out from them. Versus, you know, thinking I have to impose something onto you. So it's been so cool to see my my daughter really grasping why being trustworthy in your words and actions is so important. And to see her own that for herself and really begin to value that for herself. And so, you know, again, if that parenting is this great mirror that's held up to us to go, oh, that's, that's how God is approaching me too. So I hope that's helpful to others to get that perspective. Absolutely. I love that. So 
where where can people find you to go deeper? Because like I said, you know, there is so much more. And, you know, I, I would highly recommend here. I'll, I'll let you say it. But, you know, I was watching a number of your videos on YouTube, reading some of the blog, and there's just some really great stuff to go deeper. So where can people find that? Yeah, you can find me at MeredithDanCause.com. So uh, and that's got links to everything else and videos. And you, know, you can find me on Facebook as well. But my website is probably the best place to go and that's uh you know i do workshops and for for churches and and other organizations around parenting around marriage around discipleship Uh, and that's that's my passion is really helping people really learn how to live the way of jesus because i think it is the best way to live and i think we all need guides and i've had lots of guides along the way which has been i'm so grateful for and i love getting to be that for communities and for individuals so yeah that's the best place to find me well friends definitely go and check that out there's lots of resources to go deeper in your marriage and parenting and just in your discipleship walk well Meredith, thank you so much for your time this was a blessing yeah it was so great it's so great to talk with you thanks for having me on absolutely Hey friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much again for joining us for this interview. I pray that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged that you can go and explore your own top cards, how you might flip your lid where you go when you are stressed. And I pray that that can bless you in your relationships, not just with your kids, but with your spouse, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends, family, strangers, all of it, friends. Now, if you enjoyed this, I definitely recommend you go and check out Meredith's website. Go check out her YouTube videos. There's a lot of good stuff in her blog and in those videos and uh, just more directions that you can go as you explore this thing that we call discipleship. And also, friends, I encourage you to listen. We have many other interviews with really great people here at Rua Space, from Dr. Dwight Friesen to Heather Hutzel, Dan Kent, Father Albert Haas, and so many more. So go check those out. And if you like this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge blessing to us. So until next time, friends, grace and peace be with you.